Well, good morning, church. How we doing? You know there's no way for me to follow that up. (laughs) But let me try, and let me try by saying thank you. So we've finished up 2016, and now as we launch into 2017, one of the things that we do is we close out our books on our financial year, and once again, we are absolutely blown away by your generosity. It was five, six weeks ago, and as we began our Christmas season, I stood here and I asked you to help us with our Giving Tree project. And what the Giving Tree is, is you all give funds and gift cards to things like heating oil and rent and and groceries, and that money comes in, and then we use that to meet the needs of families that are experiencing those kind of needs. And so that money actually continues to come in and and came in this year to the tune of over $16,000. Now to put that into perspective, last year it was under 14, the year before that it was around $10,000. Three years ago we brought in $6,500 for the giving tree. So your giving to the giving tree isn't just on the uptick, it is seriously blowing through the ceiling. And so for that, we say thank you. And also as we, as we close out 2016 and we, we look at our general fund, we were able to end the year with receipts into our general fund exceeding expenses by $85,000. Yeah, that's a woo kind of thing. Now, our finance team will be kicking some of that money over to our capital fund, but it's looking like that we'll end the year with total giving towards our capital ending up to be around $475,000, almost half a million dollars. And so I want to say thank you to you. In a time when finances are tough for a lot of churches, God has so richly blessed us through you and through your giving. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing here at Mannheim BIC. I wonder if you have ever really wanted something. Not yet, that would be nice to have, but, but you really wanted something. You wanted whatever that thing was so badly that you were willing to do whatever it takes to get that thing. When my family and I lived in Uruguay, we rented a house in this, in this nice condo complex, and, and the family that rented us their place in town actually moved to the beach. And so, so they rented to us their place furnished. And so it was decorated in a very Uruguayan way, which is kind of this mix of, of like European, modern, contemporary meets very rustic. And for their rustic vibe, a lot of their furniture had been bought at what they call a mate, which is an auction. And it wasn't this furniture that man... Do we throw it out or do we send it to the auction? I mean, this, this stuff was good stuff. So it was stuff that, that because it had been bought at auction, had this well-loved, distressed look. 
that fit that rustic vibe perfectly. And Luke was a baby, so we bought his nursery set, and, and we bought our bed, and we bought Emma's bed brand new, but everything else in that house had been bought at auction. And so after a while in our bedroom, we start to hear this noise. Crunch, 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 crunch. Sounded almost like the little Pac-Man do chump, 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 chump. And because all the construction there is blocked, sound kind of echoes, and we weren't really sure where the sound was coming from, and Cindy was convinced that, that the sound was coming from our bed, that there was actually something living in our bed. And I said, no way, the bed is brand new, that's not even possible. And so this went on for weeks and we would hear the noise and we're checking like the nightstand and the dresser looking for the source of this noise and we can't find a thing. So our primary way of heating our house in Uruguay was through our fireplace. And so I had an axe, we'd get wood delivered, but then I would split it. And so one day I was out and I came home And Cindy had put Luke down for a nap, and she was supposed to be catching some Z's herself, and she starts to hear the noise. Chump, 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 chump. So as I come in, and I'm heading up the steps, I see her walking into our bedroom with the axe. (laughs) And I was like, what are you doing? And she was going to chop our bed apart until she found... What was making that crunch, 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 crunch noise? So I gave in, and rather than use an axe, I got a saw, and I put my, put my ear to the side of the box spring, and I thought I located the source of the sound. And so I sliced through the fabric, and I actually cut out a section, one of the wooden slats that make up that box spring. And guess what we found? A big, fat, white, wood grub. So we had wood grubs in our bed, right? So as usual, Cindy was right, I was wrong. We had wood grubs eating their way, tunneling their way through the wooden slats that make up our box spring that held the thing together. So our home office was beside our bedroom, so I went and I grabbed a paper clip and I snagged the thing and it popped so that's actually how we got rid of the, the wood grubs, all right? So that's gross and that's crazy, but here's the really crazy part. So when we went to leave Uruguay, we sold our stuff to our neighbors, to other missionary families, and there was this missionary couple from Australia, and they had like 12 kids. Not really, but they had this huge family, so they needed furniture. So they're walking through our house going, are you going to sell this? Or are you going to sell that? And, and the wife points to the bed, and we tell her the story, and we said, you do not want this bed. Oh, yeah, she wanted the bed. And so she said, we'll just fumigate it, which I don't even know what that means, right? So we had gotten rid of the grubs, but how do you fumigate a bed? But she wanted that bed so much that I took her money. I sold it to her. But Cindy really, really wanted to know what was making that crunch, crunch, crunch noise. She wanted to know so badly that she was willing to chop our bed apart with an axe. Now, that is a gross story, 
That is an incredibly ridiculous story, but I wonder if you have ever really wanted something. You wanted something so badly that you were willing to do whatever it takes to get that thing. Maybe that's an accomplishment that you were after. Maybe that was a dream that you were chasing down. Maybe that was something else, but you wanted something so badly that you were willing to do whatever it takes. No matter how crazy, no matter the cost, no matter the effort, you would walk through fire, you would crawl through glass, you would do whatever it takes to get that thing. Maybe there's something that you are chasing right now and you would be willing to do whatever is needed to secure that thing. If you were with us last week, As we're getting back into Philippians chapter 3, you'll know that Paul opens up this chapter, chapter 3, by telling us what he really wants. And the thing that Paul really wants, he gives that to us in verse 10 of Philippians 3, where he writes, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. That is the thing that is Paul's ultimate goal. That's the thing that Paul wants. That that he can gain Christ, that he can be one with him, that, that he might experience a deeper relationship with Jesus know him more and more. This is the thing that Paul is after. And so last week, we talked about this. We we made that question personal, and I asked you, in 2017, in this new year that we are stepping into, what is it that you want? And as we attempted to answer that question together, we said that there are all kinds of things that you can chase after. There are all kinds of things that you can pour yourself into But there is only one place that you can go to find real, abiding, bomb-proof significance for the sense of security, for the satisfaction that your heart craves. Those things will only ever be found in Jesus. And so Paul has told us what he wants, and he's challenging us to figure out what it is that we want. Paul wants to know Jesus. And now he's going to tell us today, starting in verse 12, what he's going to do to realize his goal of knowing Jesus and the crazy infinite value that comes from knowing Christ more and more. So what is it exactly that Paul wants? Well, to see that, we've got to go to verse 12. But before we jump into our scripture passage for this morning, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, as we continue in on Philippians chapter 3 and what Paul writes there, and as we start a new year, we, we wrestle through these same questions. What is it that we want? And what will we do to get it? And so this morning, as we read how, how Paul chases after you, I ask that you would draw us to yourself that you would use your word to, to draw us, to allow us to see that you are the source of our joy and that we would seriously, in our own hearts, wrestle with this question, what do I want and what am I going to do about it? 
And so we give this time to you. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So we're going to read four verses, verses 12 through 16 out of Philippians chapter 3. But as we do, I need your help. Because Paul is pretty clear in telling us what he is going to do to realize this goal of knowing Jesus. So as we read together, your job is to be on the lookout for exactly what Paul is going to do. So verse 12, here's what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have arrived at my goal. Right, so Paul has just said, that, that he wants to know Jesus more and more, but now he's telling us, I have not arrived, I'm not there. Like you are, like I am, we are very much in process. Paul is growing more and more. He's being conformed into the image of, of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, but that is an ongoing process. That's a sometimes slow process. And then here it comes. Paul continues. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So here Paul is conjuring up this image of a runner who is straining with every ounce of energy that they have to get to that finish line. Verse 14, Paul tells us again what he's going to do. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of, of, of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Right, so, so this is a live question. Paul has said that he wants to know Jesus more and more through a real, active, vital relationship. He wants that so badly. So what is it that Paul is doing to make knowing Jesus a reality in his life? What is it? I heard it. Pressing on. Right, Paul says, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing in. I'm taking hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. So this is important for us because back in verse three, right, Paul has told us that he puts no confidence in, in his own effort because Paul knows that he can't do anything to earn. He can't do anything to merit. He can't do, do anything to secure his relationship with God on his own. That he can't do that through his own effort. But that relationship with God has been given to him as a gift through Jesus. Such an incredible gift of salvation, this gift of freedom, this this gift of, of life and a future, that that gift absolutely lights Paul up. Because Paul knows that even when he wasn't looking for Jesus, that Jesus was looking for him, and that because he's been seized by Jesus... He's fighting hard. He's straining towards the prize at the finish line. And that prize is ultimately Christ himself. Paul wants more and more of Jesus. He wants to know Jesus so badly that he's willing to do whatever it takes. And so he's pouring himself into that one thing. It's pressing on. It's pressing in. It's forgetting what's behind. It's straining toward what is ahead Ultimately, he is pushing hard after Christ himself. 
So, so Paul wants to know Jesus, and he's telling us, I, I press on towards that goal. But did you pick up on the fact that Paul does not tell us exactly how he's going to do that? I wonder how many of us, and let me see your hands if this is you, I wonder how many of us are list people. All right, lots of hands going up. I'm a list person. If you catch me here during the course of the week, I've got a notebook, and that notebook is full of lists. If, and I won't show you this because it kind of embarrasses me, right? But if you could peek into my office, there are papers everywhere. You know what's on those papers? (laughs) Lists, right? I've got so many lists that I need a list to keep track of all of my lists, But Paul is not going to give us a list here, right? He doesn't tell us exactly what he's doing to press on, to press in. He doesn't say, listen, my step A is this, my step B is this, my step C is this. What Paul gives us is so much better than a list. Paul gives us a grid. Paul gives us a filter. I found a quote that helps us say it, I think, well. came out of one of the commentaries I read this week. It's a quote by Dennis Johnson, and it says this. The crucial issue is why. Why Paul invests his time and energies as he does. He told the Corinthians, I do not run aimlessly. That's in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul's eager expectation that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, and to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we saw that coming out of Philippians chapter 1 enables Paul to assess his current circumstances. The way that Paul runs his race poses heart-searching questions for you and me. If your thought life, daily routine, spending practices, and interpersonal interactions were translated into Paul's athletic imagery, what would it look like? Are you running aimlessly? Is your pace hindered by backward glances or sideways glances at other runners? Rivet your gaze on the goal, on the prize that that Paul finds irresistibly attractive and run with all the strength and stamina that Christ will give you. So what Paul is giving us in these verses 12 through 16 is he's giving us this filter. And a way that we can say that is this. Is this blank, right, whatever, you can put anything in here. Right, so we, we had a couple things from that quote. So thoughts and routine and spending practices and interactions. Right, so it, it, it is blank. And again, you can put anything into this blank. Is that thing moving me forward, stopping me, or pulling me backward in my pursuit of Jesus? Right, so, so let's take a few seconds and actually do this. So, so call out some things from our daily lives that we can stick into this blank. So help me out here. Is this blank helping me? Right, so fear. I'm wrestling with something. Is this fear moving me forward, stopping me, or pulling me backward in my pursuit of Jesus? What else? Worry. Throw that in there. How about thoughts? Selfishness. How about attitudes? What's that? Anger. 
All kinds of things we can throw into this filter, right? So I quickly created a list for me. The stuff that I'm reading, the use of my time, right? Hobby, social media. And, and, and that makes me think not only is, is my social media interactions moving me forward, stopping me or pulling me backward in my pursuit of Jesus. So often we think of these things in terms of ourselves and individualistically, but what if we expanded that and asked the question, is this social media interaction moving the person that I'm interacting with forward, stopping me or pulling them backward in their pursuit of Jesus? So what we have here is a filter, and, and I would invite you to pick one thing out of your life, and the more vividly you can capture that thing, the more detail that you can give that thing that you push through this grid and ask those questions, is that thing moving me forward? Is it stopping me, or is it pulling me backward in my pursuit of Jesus? And so we have a filter here that we can push everything through. You can literally run every aspect of your life through this grid. And so as you run the pieces of your life through this filter, if you're serious about this, there are some decisions that you're going to have to make. If something is moving you forward in your pursuit of Christ... Pursuing him because he first pursued you. But if something is moving you forward in that, man, how do you throw gasoline on that fire? How do you amp that up? If something is stopping you in your pursuit of Christ, if you really believe that Jesus is the only true source of your joy, that as Paul is concluding that Christ is the ultimate goal worth straining toward, if something is stopping you in that, what are you going to do with that? If there's something that is, that is pulling you backward, then you need to get rid of that thing, whatever that might be, out of your life immediately. But will you? Last week we said this. We said that, that we're back in the book of Philippians, specifically in Philippians chapter 3, because that's where we left off back in November. But when it comes to this time of year, as we step into the year 2017, and we instinctively look to what the next year will hold, as we we set our aim on the days and the weeks and the months to come, I could not have picked a better scripture passage for us to work through in these early weeks of the new year. Because it is, it is easy to get turned around in life. It is easy to lose sight of what really matters. It is easy to get, to get lost in the complications of this life. And you get one shot at this thing. And Paul does not want you to be lost. Paul does not want you to waste your life. And so if we take what we saw last week and we mash that up with what what Paul is telling us this morning, the question for us becomes, what is it that you really want? How badly do you want it? And what will you do to get it? For Paul, he more and more wants to know Jesus. 
He's pouring himself into that thing. It's pressing on. It's pressing in. It's forgetting what's behind. It's straining toward what's ahead. He's pushing hard towards Christ because he knows that life and hope and a future and freedom will only be found in Jesus. And because these things are, 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 are only ultimately found in Christ, that's the thing that frees up our yes to pursue him. That the gospel, that God sent Jesus to us to be one of us to save us through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, through his, his rising victoriously from the grave, from his presence even now with the Father as he intercedes for us. That reality is so meant to ignite our hearts that the, to, to press on, to press in, to strain toward any other goal, any other option, to ultimately pour ourselves into anything else other than Jesus, that simply does not make sense. What if we live this out? I wonder, are you able, can you picture what that would open your life up to? Are you able, can you picture the kind of, of, of impact that your life can have? Right, that's pretty big, so let, let me simplify that for us and ask it this way. What is one way? What, what is one thing that you can do? What is one way that you can press on, press in toward Christ this week? And again, I don't just want us to think about this individualistically, so if we blow that open, what is one way, what's one thing that you can do, what is one way that you can help someone else press on, press in towards Christ this week? Whenever I lead us in a conversation where I am pushing us to action, where I am pushing us to doing I'm always aware of our tendency to jump into that action, to jump into that doing, and for us to, in that, forget the why. And the why for us, if you are a follower of Jesus, the why of, of, of our pursuit of Christ will always be that he first pursued us. When you were dead, when you were stone cold dead in your sin, he found you, he brought you life. He brought you freedom. And so this morning, I'm going to end by reading a page out of a book called Surprised by Grace. I've read this to us before, but it makes the point beautifully of we just do for Christ, for our Heavenly Father, for God, because he found us and he rescued us. It's called The Walk in Freedom. There's a story told from Civil War days before America's slaves were freed about a northerner who went to a slave auction and purchased a young slave girl. As they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and told her, you're free. With amazement, she responded, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes, he said. And to say whatever I want to say? Yes, anything. And to be whatever I want to be? Yep. And even go wherever I want to go? Yes, he answered with a smile. You're free to go wherever you'd like. She looked at him intently and replied, Then I will go with you. 
Jesus has come to the slave market. He came to us there because we could not go to him. He came and purchased us with his blood so we would no longer be a slave to sin, but a slave to Christ, which is the essence of freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, never allow us to forget that being a slave to you, that pressing on, that pressing in, forgetting what is behind, that straining toward the finish line, which is ultimately you, that that is the essence of freedom for us in our lives. And again, that we would wrestle seriously with that question, that this just wouldn't be a quick conversation that we forget, but that we would seriously ask ourselves that you would bear that question deep into our souls. What is it that I want? What will I do to get it? And that we would see that the only way that makes sense to answer that question is that we want more and more and more of you and your son and that we will press in and do whatever it takes to know you in a greater way. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.